Welcome to Let's Get Ethical, the podcast from the Center for Ethics and its Ethics of AI Lab at the University of Toronto. Today we're talking to Teresa Heffernan, Professor of English and Editor of Cyborg Futures, Cross-Disciplinary Perspectives on Artificial Intelligence and Robotics. We'll be speaking with Teresa about the relationship between and the tension between the humanities and artificial intelligence. Well, welcome, Teresa Heffernan, to Let's Get Ethical, the um, podcast of the Center for Ethics and its Ethics of AI Lab at the University of Toronto. Teresa is professor of English at St. Mary's University in Halifax and also maintains a very cool website entitled Social Robot Futures, Where Science Meets Fiction. I should also mention that Teresa is spending a year at the Center for Ethics and we're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, the reason why we're so excited to have you with us for the year and, and today for the podcast um, is because you're uh, one of the people who's doing the most exciting work on the intersection of humanities and ethics of AI. Uh, and what I find particularly exciting about your work is that you're interested in exploring the friction between humanities uh, and AI rather than simply celebrating you know, the possibilities for collaboration. So um, in your talk at the Center for Ethics, uh, which you gave recently, which by the way is available uh, on our online journal, C4E Journal, and our YouTube channel, um, which is entitled The Ethical Imagination, Humanities versus Artificial Intelligence, you start with the, the following uh, sentence. I, I, I think it's so um, powerful. I just, I just want to read it to, to our listeners and, and then get you to react to it. Um, Until recently, discussions about artificial intelligence have been largely shaped by computer science and engineering, steered by corporate and military interests, often underscored by transhumanist philosophy in libertarian politics, animated by fiction and hyped by the media. <laughs> so tell us, tell us what that's all about. <laughs> well, I think if you look like the internet, um, a lot of the development of this technology has been sponsored by the military. A lot of the uh, programs in the in the U.S. Um, were funded by the AI artificial intelligence programs were funded by the military. So there's huge military funding in it. Now you have also a lot of corporate funding in um, from places like Google and Facebook, which were all over you know even Cambridge and U of T, um, or sorry Cambridge and and Oxford, also increasingly U of T. Um, so there's that, that's where the f funding is coming, so that's largely shaped the field. It's also been computer engineers and computer scientists. Um, the, 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 the approach to it has been dominated by those fields. And when I started this research back in 2013, I was really interested in the way that um, those scientists, um, you know, talked about AI and robotics. And so because there are all these issues that started to kind of erupt. So I spent years going around, going to their labs, visiting them, going to Japan, going to the States, and talking to them. And I would say, well, what do you think about this particular controversy that had come up? Surveillance, privacy, whatever it was. 
And they would say to me, this is how I spend my time. I'm looking at this algorithm, I'm seeing how does that work, I'm reading the literature around that algorithm, and then I'm sh shifting the algorithm. And they're, you know, and so there's very focused, intense uh, research, but it's not asking bigger questions. So that has caused certain problems now, <laughs> quite a few problems, if you follow any of the um, anything that's going on in technology and a lot of the approach now is we have to bring in the humanities and we have to bring in social sciences to kind of somehow save things like democracy <laughs> but the problem is um, you know they want to bring in the hum hum humanities people or social sciences and then they say but you have to defer to the math model but the, it's a you know right. it's a very different model so, and then what I mean by being um, um, animated by fiction is that was the other thing that I was finding when it, back when I started this research, that the scientists were making reference to fiction, media making reference to fiction, um, but they're not reading fiction like I read fiction, and so there was this very kind of overly literal approach to it to say, well, because Star Wars went off and, you know, was colonizing planets or exploring space, that's what we'll do inevitably in the future. And I was like, no, but that's fiction, you mm. know. That has to do with, like, taking something like Star Wars and putting it in a kind of social, political culture to figure out what's going on there. It requires interpretation. But yeah. there were these very literal readings of it as if the fiction was going to come true. And there are headlines all over the place in the press about fiction coming true, you know? And I say, it, by definition, fiction does not come true. All right, so, so there's, a, there's a lot to be said, and I think a lot that the humanities can contribute to the conversation about ethics of AI. And, and um, I think your, your talk um, powerfully illustrates what humanities might be able to contribute. And it may not be the sort of thing that um, it's meant to, <laughs> to contribute. Um, so um, it, it's um, uh, it's it's not just about as as you pointed out, about the, the friction between humanities and AI, but it's also about the the fiction uh, in in AI itself, which is a, I think an underestimated part of the of the enterprise. It's not that fact meets fiction, but right. but the fact itself uh, is influenced and based on fiction, and so that which indicates that humanities has a kind of a foundational contribution to make, not not just as an add on to to fix stuff. You know, things go exactly, wrong. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I just really appreciate the way you kind of powerfully, you know, draw these these, these contrasts and then yet at the same time um, point out the, the connections. Um, uh, so one of the things that we talked about uh, on this podcast before um, was um, uh, the, the question of how the general population mm, mm. Uh, could deal with these uh, challenges, ethical challenges in AI, uh, and what contribution perhaps humanities could make to the education uh, of that population, the citizenry, to help them with the challenges. Uh, and this is uh, Mark Kingwell's notion of the new media literacy, which I thought had, had interesting connections to your comments on, on reading and how AI researchers think about reading uh, and what kind of reading, as you said, you do and what kind of reading perhaps the, the population should be doing um, to, to not just deal with the problems that AI creates, but also to perhaps 
prevent the, the, the problems from arising in the first place. Yeah, and I, I think that, that uh, Kingwell's, his, I think the importance he's putting on, on digital um, literacy is so, is, is really, you know, is really important. Um, if I, I have, uh, I, I've debated um, the, 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 the um, Canada Research Chair in Ethics, or sorry, in, in um, Big Data and AI in Halifax a couple of times, mm. and I've, I've, I've debated computer scientists um, also. I mean, you know, good, let's have a constructive debate about the field. Um, but often after these debates, I get students coming up to me and saying, you mean I'm not going to be able to download my brain into a computer? You mean that's not going to be possible? And I think where they, you know, where, where, first of all, where are they getting that? Because I know where it's coming from in terms of like Kurzweil and people like that in the, in the AI world. But I think they must be getting it just from like these headlines, you know, like this, this, there's so much hype. And when I say to them, well, what would that be to download your brain? Like, how would that work exactly? What, because, you know, what you would be doing is just turning it into information. But which memories would you download? And you know that your memories shift and that so you can't remember something and then you remember something else. And then if you're at a family gathering, a memory, you know, seven different people are going to have a different take on the same the same event. So, how, you know, how do we remember things? So, so, you know, and even if you just take that small question of memory, how is it that you're going to download? Like, how is it that you're thinking of the self that you're going to be able to download in, that into a computer? But it's so prevalent out there. And I think, and I, I would say, when I started this in 2012, 2013, I was like, this is so cool. You realize that there is no connection between um, the actual, like there's no roadmap from the actual technology to, um, you know, to these kind of fictions that we're being, um, that are being um, hyped. Right. Um, so um, one of the interesting things that you bring up in your talk is um, that there's apparently a research project that um, investigates reading and um yeah. and and which which sounds to, so i i want, I want to hear yeah. more about this uh, and um but it sounds to me like a kind of uh, a, a very ambitious version of of speed reading um and and the, uh, I, so I'm, i'd like to hear how, how that's supposed to work in in science um and um uh, also what uh conception of reading you would contrast with um with this because um, mm -hmm. you you mentioned you know, uh, literary critics and um, who insist on things like the significance of interpretation um, and ambiguity and, and so on, which, which seems to be difficult to capture in, capture in these scientific uh, um, experiments. So I'm, I'm curious about um, what your conception of literacy and, mm -hmm. and reading, how, how that would differ from the conception that you think is assumed by people working in the, in the science and whether there's a way of, of bringing the two into communication with each other. So there's um, there are a number of projects that are that are th saying okay well we can deal with this problem of of kind of ethics and morality by having these machines robots ingest 
a huge amount of material. And yeah. so what they refer to that is is as this, we're going to teach this these robots kind of ethics through reading. So, you know, they're going to kind of download all these novels and, and philosophical texts. And the, 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 their premise is that they'll be able to come up with um, how that this will teach robots how humans behave and that they'll be able to model that. But for someone who studies fiction, this seems to me, and does a lot of reading, this seems to be absolutely absurd, you know. So one of the examples is um, from the, from the, the, the one, one of the projects is that, okay, so the robot will learn when you go to a restaurant, you open a menu, you know, so it'll learn as humans learn. But this is not, like, the, the, if you think about the way that fiction works, there's so many other complexities there. And so it's not just information that you're getting. Right. Otherwise, I would just have a list of commands. Why am I reading fiction? Because it puts it in this, it, it's not, it, it, it can't be, general, or it's difficult to generalize it because fiction is always about the particularity of the text. So it requires that kind of... Um, deep kind of reflective thought about what does this mean what 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 is being said here you know and I'm I you're not going to just read it in a literal way you're going to read it in a way of um, you know what it what does it mean for instance that all the 19th century novels uh, most of them end either with the woman getting married if she ends up to conforming to the kind of social expectations, even though she might rebel a bit, but, you know, eventually conforms to those um, societal expectations compared to the woman who rebels and uh, ends up dying. So fiction, 19th century novels tend to end with two endings, either, you know, the woman dies or she gets married. <laughs> so... How, how would that model of reading ever work with um, teaching a robot about how humans work? So again, I'm, I'm curious how novels um, make people more ethical also, because mm. uh, I, I hear that occasionally, that, mm -hmm. that reading novels makes you more ethical. Um, I guess it depends on the novel, but that somehow the, the interaction with, with this text and, and your transformation as a result of interacting with the text makes humans uh, better. Um, I, I'm, I'm suspicious of this, yeah, but yeah. so I'm curious whether you think the, the problem is that it works okay for humans, but it's not going to work for <laughs> robots, but, but yeah. or, or maybe that it doesn't really work for humans. So the idea of then... Just having robots do it um, means you're you're trying to you know copy something that isn't that isn't working in the original also. Right. right. Um, yeah. Exactly. I mean, I, I there's a there's a lot of um, theories out there that reading somehow reading literature is going to make you more ethical. Uh, I'm not convinced by that at all. I know I know some people who are very unethical who read literature. Um, so I'm not convinced of that at all. Um, but what I do think is the possibility in literature is that it's what Gayatri Spivak calls, who's a, who's a post-colonial critic, um, she refers to it as the ethical imagination. And so that's a different thing, right? If I'm talking about literature, it, so it's not about reading the literature. I mean, 
it's not just about reading the literature, it's about being able to kind of interpret it and think about that literature in much more kind of complicated ways that have to do with um, history and kind of culture and open up those sort of questions. So it's not just, I mean, all the people in Silicon Valley, apparently, they're all big Ayn Rand fans, you know, so they just read it, and they read it in a kind of very literal way. Um, there's no larger discussion going on. But I think there is a way that you can say, okay, um, wh what, kind of, what kind of society do we want? Instead, instead of just trying to constantly... Um, uh, uh, move along in what you're, how you're told to move in society. Right. You might literature might open up those discussions of like, okay, well, what sort of society do we want to live in? Yeah, and so um, it's it's. And by the way, the ethical imagination is is uh, also the title of your talk. Uh, so again, I I um, urge people to to watch and, and listen to the talk because there's a lot. Lots more stuff in, in the talk that we didn't have a chance so far to, to discuss. But, so, yeah, it seems to me also the ability to, to just uh, uh, take a critical stance of, of, okay. of any kind. So to, to distance yourself from the object of judgment, but then still be able to, to make a judgment, but through imagination or through empathy, through identification. I mean, none of this stuff is, you know, is new or, or, or you know, fancy pants uh, literary theory. It's kind of basic way you know to think about how you how you come to make judgments about other people and and um, but it seems that none of this so far has entered the conversation uh, about how humanities or anyone who's thinking about anything might contribute something to the conversation about ethics of AI mm -hmm. it seems um, that that humanities and social sciences have been assigned a particular contribution that they're supposed to make to the conversation, which usually is based on a very crabbed and essentially, I mean, enormously outdated and um, conception mm -hmm. of what social science and, and humanities are supposed to do. And then, and then we, or whoever it is, is given this task um, and then things move along. And, but it doesn't, it's, not a, it's not a fundamental critical challenge to the enterprise Itself, so in the end, it seems to be counterproductive, or or maybe it's just productive, because it it, it assigns a, a place to these other activities that permit the undergoing activity to proceed as it would otherwise. Um, so I, I, I think yeah, yeah. I think your your work is is very important to to point out that if you want humanities to participate, you may not like the way it comes out and you have to be prepared that humanities is not going to do what you want it to do whatever that is humanities i mean the whole idea that there's like a thing as humanities exactly. and social yeah. sciences is already um already so we're so yeah, boxed in yeah. I, I know i know i yeah. know so yeah i mean if you look at there's you know all these discussions about building moral machines or um or uh well, let's tweak the algorithm so it's more it's it's more fair. Uh, um, you know, it's less bias. Oh, lots of discussions about bias in algorithms. You know, whether it's racial bias or gender bias, um, where you're excluded um, just because of the way that algorithm works. But I, I think that I, I want to shift that question and ask: Can so algorithms? machine, big data, machine learning, what they do is they produce statistics. 
what I want to ask is, can a statistic ever be fair? A statistic is a statistic. It's a different unit of mod. Uh, it's a different, you know, um, unit of knowledge um, compared to something like the humanities. So if I'm a historian, you know, I'm going to be looking for facts and evidence. In fact, as a literature critic, literary critic, I'm always saying to my students, you can't just make up things about the story. You have to give me evidence for your argument. You know, if you want to make this point about a character, then you need to provide some evidence. But there's a, they work very differently. Like statistics are not um, evidence. They're an averaging, you know, they're an averaging out. And what the humanities do, and particularly literature is I'm always you know focused on that kind of individual text that individual narrative that individual's story that's always different you know it, it can't be it can't be kind of replicated or repeated when it gets repeated Derrida French philosopher said you know um, uh, repetition is always already divided at the point of of sending which is maybe a bit complicated uh, to digest but yeah, yeah. <laughs> sounds better in French but um, but you know it's this idea that if you repeat something it's going to happen in, a, in another context in another situation yeah I think um, your your work is 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 very important because it it doesn't just explore the connection um, between humanities and and AI but also as you said wants to reshape the conversation it's it's not it's not a it's not a minor adjustment of what the role of humanities is in the ai enterprise but it's a, a more fundamental challenge to rethink the relationship in general which I, i think has to be right and and has to be the future of the of the conversation um, because ai is is so significant it's it's no longer a technical um, phenomenon, but it's it's becoming a, you know a social fact or social phenomenon that that is accessible to to anyone and and and, and open to critique by anyone, and, and that seems to me what humanities are. I, I really hate <laughs> referring to all these different things <laughs> in this one word, and it's plural, and so. In German, it sounds a lot better. So, but but anyway, um, there's like not even a concept of how this whole thing is supposed to hang together. But let's just say there's this thing called humanities, and I think what the humanities are really good at is training people how to think critically yeah, or to yeah. develop and hopefully exercise what you call the ethical imagination or capacity for empathy or or whatever. Um, and that that I think is an important implication of your work is to, to get clear and precisely what the humanities do uh, and not just what they have to contribute to AI research. So, so maybe we could talk a little bit about kind of what this means about, um, you know, the, um, the fate of the humanities or because mm -hmm. a lot of the things that are happening also in, in um, higher education is people are constantly trying to figure out why, you know, the humanities should be around. What, what, what do they do? Uh, like top <laughs> top eleven lists of why you should study humanities, you know. Right. Um, and I always think that's that's strangely defensive, and and mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it, to me, so I'm curious what you think. That th this might just be a, a particularly um, tempting and perhaps pernicious temptation for the humanities to say, "Oh, you know, this is great. Now we know what we're supposed to be doing. We we can we can work with this." AI, uh, enormously well-funded AI apparatus and 
there's going to be money, there's going to be attention. And now we know what the humanity's for. They're, they're, they're going to fix, you know, the mistakes that, that the scientists yeah, make, yeah. Um, which I, I don't know. I, I would guess maybe you would, you would think that that's, a, you know, that, that's not the kind of vision of, of the humanity's contribution that, that you have in mind. No, not at all. <laughs> I want to bring a kind of critique to the model of AI that's out there. But I mean, what you're up against, right, is massive amounts of money. Yeah. No one's going to be rushing to me and saying, oh, great. I mean, just like, you know, no one in the AI world, in the business, is going to be rushing to me and saying, oh, great, thanks. That's so useful that you're just cr critiquing our whole model, you know. But <laughs> that's not going to be so popular. And of course, you know, universities are struggling for money with government cutbacks. Um, but what happens in is a, is a you know, the other thing we really have to watch is, so we, do we just want universities to be incubators for business, you know? And everyone just kind of get on that, okay, we're now about making right. money. We're not even going to talk about what, what happens to the concept of the university as soon as we talk about, you know, just serving kind of business interests. And I think that, um, you know, if you look at Google, as I say, Google and Facebook that are all over the universities these days and like offering funding and organizing conferences on narrative. This was one at, at Cambridge on narrative and AI and science and AI and religion and AI. Um, but there, there's always a kind of, you know, there's, there's, there's a, there's a, a buy-in almost at the beginning. So I was at a conference at Cambridge in the, in the spring, and it was on AI and religion. It was very um, small, selected group of people. I wasn't speaking, um, but you, the, the, the rep, uh, representation from the Vatican was there. They have a, a committee mm. on AI and religion. Um, there was uh, uh, any religion uh, or just Catholicism. Well, they were just dealing with, <laughs> yeah, they're just dealing with the, the Pope. And then they had um, a rabbi there who was also a physicist talking about mm. AI and religion. And so they had, you know, these different perspectives. And the guy who's uh, at the um, uh, who's who's Muslim. Um, they had these different perspectives, but the starting perspective was always about okay, God created humans and life, and AI is now creating life. So what's our responsibility toward that AI that we create? And I just felt the whole time, well, could we back up here? Is there any evidence that we're creating life? Um, you know, we've created like lots of fancy algorithms and we've got uh, really powerful computers and we've got um, lots of storage, but it's not actually how humans work at all. So is where did this come from, this idea that we're creating life? But it is prevalent out there. And I think one of the problems with humanities is often they accept the, the, the hype, um, uh, you know, the, 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 what they've done is they've accepted the hype coming from industry uh, and haven't actually investigated the science. And so if I'm thinking about literature, literature has always had examples of artificial people going back to ancient Greece. You know, we also have witches and we have warlocks and we have magicians, all sorts of things. And it's always about that kind of place where you're negotiating what it means to be human. Um, building, when you talk to some of the people in AI, what they're assuming 
is that the definition of what it is to be human is already set. And so, oh, look, my computer can do this, therefore it's like a human. And I think, well, but what, what's your starting premise with what a human is? Because literature, um, to me, is a place where that, that's always been debated. No, I think it's interesting that you mention religion. Um, hmm. Because yeah, I mean, the, you know, religion has has sometimes a way of starting, you know, with faith, yes. and and not not being so worried about the facts. So yeah, that uh, religion I think has something to contribute also critically to the to the enterprise by pointing out. I mean, similar to what you point out, kind of the significance of fiction in the story that AI tells right. about itself is you know, faith could be another. Um, uh, there there are certain things that are taken you know. On faith, um, and then we just kind of proceed to, to, in this case, build enormously sophisticated and expensive um, scientific apparatuses around it. I yes, mean, the, I think the yeah, I think yeah. the advantage that humanities uh, have is that, uh, as you also point out in your talk, is it doesn't actually cost any money. So, uh, so what we're doing here, you know, I mean, costs some money. There's like, you know, we had to buy a couple of mics, and and <laughs> and then you know, Matthias was kind enough to 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 help us with the Technology, but uh, it, you know, it, it doesn't take a lot of money, which which um, I think is a is a very powerful thing if you use it, uh, you know, for the purpose of of, kind of critique and, and questioning as as you do. Um, but it also makes it interestingly less attractive to you know, the people who have an interest in at least projecting that they're concerned about, say, the ethics of AI, because there's nothing that they could give us, uh, you know, if they give, it'd be nice to have a million dollars, but not really, because uh, we don't need it. So, you know, so what, what, what could be their way of signaling that they support us, if not by giving us, you know, lots and lots of money? Um, uh, so, I, in in a way, I mean, I, I don't uh, want to turn this into some kind of, you know, <laughs> Robin Hood or whatever enterprise. But I think, but I think, I think there's a um, because it's not about. Uh, trying to get resources away from from the scientists or getting you know a piece of the no, pie, yeah. we we don't need a piece of the pie, but you know but society and I think public universities need us because we make this contribution that you um, suggest that we kind of you know if we are successful we kind of arouse critical capacities and encourage people to uh, to exercise it and to be confident also enough to exercise it. Even if they're not scientists, so they don't have fancy degrees, which is what we at the Center for Ethics are trying to do with the Ethics of AI in Context series and and our Ethics of AI lab. And so we're very grateful that you joined us today, um, but even more grateful that you joined us uh, for the entire year to to share your work with us. So thanks again, uh, Teresa Heffernan, um, for for speaking with us today. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Think about subscribing and check out the center's website at ethics.utoronto.ca.